from Convoy of Hope. Please welcome back to Summit Park, Heath Adamson. Thank you so much. It's very kind. Please uh, grab a seat and open up your Bible to Numbers chapter 6. That's where we are going to spend just a few minutes today. And uh, for those of you who are watching online, obviously everybody here at the North Campus, everyone at the South Campus, it's great to be in the house of God together. Let's put our hands together and welcome everyone today in the house of God. All right, so we're going to jump right in. But before I do that, I just want to publicly thank Jesus for the yes that Pastor Scott and Pastor Jen said to the Lord. How many of you know we say yes to God before we know what the question is? That's what a life of surrender, a life of obedience looks like. And they said yes. And because they said yes to God before they even knew what the question was, now here we are at Summer Park Church. And this city, this region is better because God is building what Jesus promised to build. How many of you know Jesus did not promise to build an organization? He did not promise necessarily even to build a business. What he promised to build was a community of people all over the world. Sons and daughters, people who are part of the family of God because they've said yes to what Jesus did on the cross. It's called the church. And the church is a community of people all over the world who have said yes to Jesus. And because of that, the kingdom of heaven comes to the earth. There is power in a yes. And so it is a privilege to be here. And uh, please continue to pray for Pastor Scott and Pastor Jen as they just take some time and rest and listen in. And how many of you know that there's a conversation taking place in heaven right now? And God is talking about Summit Park Church. And your pastors want to hear what God is saying, both for today and in the future. So please continue to pray for them uh, for their time of rest. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, it says this, the Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his son. So let me stop here. The Lord speaks to Moses to speak to Aaron and his sons to tell the people. Why didn't God just speak to the people? God speaks to Moses to speak to Aaron, to speak to the people. Sometimes God communicates to us through other people. And it, it's humbling to come before an imperfect vessel and listen to what they have to say as God works on our heart. God does not just speak to the people. God speaks to Moses to speak to Aaron, to speak to the people. It's one of the reasons why someone stands up on Sunday or maybe during a life group or a Bible study, whatever, and somebody opens up the Word of God and communicates. It doesn't mean that the person speaking is better than you. It just means that's the person that God has chosen to whisper things to. So on this occasion, I happen to be the one that God has spoken to, if I could put it that way, to share something with you. And today you're going to hear an amazing sermon preached by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to whisper something to your heart, probably something that I won't even say. And uh, what he has to say is much more important than what I have to say. But God spoke to Moses to speak to Aaron, to speak to the people. And this is what they were supposed to say. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, Lord, speak to us. 
take your word and break it. And as you prepare to feast for us, God, I pray that today we will feast on your word. Thank you for the whisper. Thank you for the love that we see in your eyes for us. Transform us, God, today. Help us to understand not just what you do, but how you feel about us. We bless your name and we thank you for the word. Amen. Before I forget, uh, when you leave, uh, my latest book is available. It's called The Sacred Chase. Um, in Mark chapter 5, there's a story about someone who had a lot of issues. Uh, he was so tormented, he forgot his name. They called him Legion. He was a self-mutilator. The Bible tells us he was demonized. He had other spirits living inside of him. He had thousands of different voices distracting him. And the Bible says he saw Jesus from afar. And his first response was not to run and hide in shame. His first response, a man who was not wearing clothes, who was covered in pus, blood, and scabs, who could not carry on a normal conversation, who forgot his name, who had every reason to think that God was not interested in him. When he saw Jesus from afar, his first response was to run towards Jesus. And embedded deep within each one of us is a primal hunger to know the reality of Jesus in our lives. And it starts with a glance. That's what the book is about. So if you're interested, grab one on your way out. So there is a place you can come to in God before the face of God where as you get close to God, you catch a reflection of who he created you to be. It is possible to experience the reality of Jesus in your life. And when we come across certain verses like Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's one thing to seek. It's another thing to diligently seek. How many of you know sometimes you don't feel like seeking God? And so when we diligently seek God, what is his response? God rewards. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So our response is to call to God. How does God respond? God answers and God shows. When we pray, God does not just answer our prayer. He shows us things when we pray. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Answers to prayer are not just supposed to be heard. They're supposed to be seen. So when we call to God, God answers and God shows. In James chapter 4, it says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. So our response is we draw near to God. And how does God respond? God draws near to us. So we see in the word that God rewards, God answers, and God shows. God draws near when we draw near to him. But there is also a posture of the heart. And each one of us, regardless of where we come from, regardless of our gender or our socioeconomic status, regardless of what we did yesterday, and regardless of our education, each one of us can do this one thing. We can bend our heart in humility towards God. And there are some things that God does in response to what we do. I just, I just quoted the verses to you. Draw near to God. Call out to God, diligently seek God, but there is also this place we can come to before God where before we even do anything, God draws near to us. 
It's one thing to draw near to God. It is another thing for God the Father to draw near to us. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 57 says. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Where is the high and holy place? It says, with him who is humble and of contrite in heart. The high and holy place where God dwells is within, is in the space of someone who is humble. The Bible says in Psalm 138 that God knows the proud from afar, but he draws near to the humble. When we humble ourselves and we live a life of humility, God draws near to us before we seek him, before we call out to him. All of heaven leans in and draws near to you simply because the posture of your heart is in humility before God. It is, it is possible to come before the face of God and catch a reflection of who he created you to be. And if you think about it, you've got nothing to offer God. He is the king of kings. He is the high and lofty one, and yet he draws near to those who are humble. One of the verses in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This verse comes after a two-week religious festival filled with worship and sacrifice, and the presence of God was so strong the Bible says the building was literally shaken and people fell down on their faces before God. People couldn't even function after a two-week religious festival. And what is God's response after that? God doesn't show up and say, wow, I can't believe it. Look at all of the gold bowls. Look at all, the, all of the gold ornaments. Your songs were amazing. Could you sing that one again? No, he shows up and the first thing he says is, if my people, the people who just threw a 14-day opulent feast in my name, if my people will humble themselves. God is looking for people who will simply humble themselves before his face. And oftentimes we don't humble ourselves before the face of God because we're ashamed and we feel like God is not interested in us. But there is a place we can come to before God where we catch a reflection of who he, who he actually created us to be. My wife, Allie, always says that you are God's favorite place to be. And at the end of the day, each one of us are as close to Jesus as we want to be. Listen to how Chesterton put it. This is what he said about God. Because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. 
but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again, and the sun rises. And every evening, do it again, and the moon comes out. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all of the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite for infancy, and we have all sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. God says the kingdom of God is like a group of children. And whenever you come across a child, what does a child do? A child walks up to you and extends his or her hands and simply wants you to pick them up. And for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about how God feels about you as a father. And God is enthralled with you. And that's what Numbers chapter 6 is all about. It's not just about a high priestly blessing. It is about the posture of God towards the heart that is humble. And when you read these words, you not only learn about what God does, you see how God feels about you. And if you truly understand how God feels about you, it will ignite something in your soul that is insatiable and never quenched, and it will create an appetite in you that is never fully and finally satisfied, and you will find yourself longing to be with Jesus. And you will understand that sometimes what we consider to be an opportunity is something that has actually seduced us, and it is a mere distraction. God longs to know you, and when we humble ourselves before God, he draws near to us, and that's what number six is all about. So let me give you some background. Number six is called the priestly blessing, and it was considered to be so holy that the high priest pronounced this blessing not over individuals, not over families, but over a corporate gathering. It would be like all of the tribes of Israel came together, and the high priest pronounced this blessing. The high priest took his hands and formed the Hebrew letter Sheen and lifted his hands up and would say and would pronounce the blessing. The Hebrew letter Shin is, is, where we, is where they get the symbol for Shaddai, El Shaddai, the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place of El Shaddai abides under the shadow of the Almighty. And the shadow of the high priest's hands would stretch out over the people. It was a symbol. The high priest had to be from the tribe of Levi. Only two priests in all of Judaic history were chosen by merit. Everybody else had to be born into it. Those two were Aaron and Phinehas. To be the high priest and pronounce this blessing was a privilege, it was an honor, and it was a holy act. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, that now that Jesus is resurrected from the grave, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. It says he lives to make intercession for the saints. We in Jesus have a high priest who ironically is not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. And we have a high priest. And what does Jesus pray for you at the right hand of the Father? Well, we're really not sure. 
We know how Jesus prayed. He taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But what Jesus prays, we're really not sure. But what we do know is this. Jesus functions like a great high priest. And you can catch a glimpse of how and what Jesus prays for you when you read the words in number six. Our inheritance in Jesus makes Numbers chapter 6 possible. We no longer need a high priest to pronounce this blessing over us because 1 Peter tells us that we are part of a royal priesthood. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have access to everything I'm about to teach you. It is not just reserved for holy people. None of us are holy enough. But in Christ, we are. And this is our inheritance. So what does Numbers chapter 6 mean? When you read these words, you also see the different postures God has for you. In the ancient Hebrew Bible, each letter also corresponded to a number. So Hebrews think a little bit different than us Western individualistic people. When we think of time and when we read, we go from point A to point B. We read from left to right. They read from right to left. We ask what time is it. They would think not necessarily in, term of, in terms of time. They would think in terms of seasons. When we look at time, it is linear. When they look at time, it is spherical. It's important because... The word of God is written with that mindset. It would be like you drop a, a sphere around your head and you spin it. And if you want to know what time it is, you look straight ahead, but you also look to the right and see what's coming. It's very different for us. That's why when we pray and it doesn't happen right away, we begin to wonder things like what's wrong. Because we've been taught to think point A to point B. And in the kingdom of God, it's a little bit different than that because God operates outside of time. Are you with me? And when you read these verses, you see a pattern. In verse 24 in the ancient Hebrew text, there are three Hebrew words. In verse 25, there are five Hebrew words. And in verse 26, there are seven Hebrew words. Remember, every letter is a number. And so a Hebrew would read these words, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. But when the Hebrew reader would step back from the page, he would see a number, three, five, and seven. And they were they would add up numbers. 3 plus 5 plus 7 is 15. It sounds a bit mystical to us, but to them it's normal. And the Hebrew number 15 is comprised of, remember, each letter is a number. 15 is comprised of two letters, Yod and He. It's Yah. When they would read verse 24, 25, and 26, they would read 15 words, and then they would step back and they would see one word. They would see Yah, the name of God, Yahweh. Hallelujah. When they would read the words, they would see the words. We do this today when we send a text message. You send words, and then you have to send a what? What's it called? A GIF and an emoji and a thumbs up and a smiley face, two red hearts. We don't just want to read the text. We want to see the text, don't we? Well, that's the way they used to read the scriptures. They would read it, and they would see it. They would see the posture of God towards them when they read this. 
So what does Numbers chapter 6 mean in verse 24? It says, may the Lord bless you. This word Lord is powerful. In your Bible, it may be capital L, lowercase o-r-d. If that's the case, then you're reading a Bible version or translation that is translated from the Hebrew word Adonai, which is Lord. But if in your Bible, it's capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, that is Yahweh or Jehovah. And the oldest Hebrew manuscripts are all capitals. It is called the Tetragrammaton or the ineffable name. The name of God, the ineffable name, was considered so holy, so sacred, nobody even spoke the name of God. We technically, not only do we not know what God looks like, we don't even know how to pronounce God's name because it doesn't have vowels and they stopped saying God's name for centuries because they considered his name so special. So technically, we don't know if it's pronounced Yahweh. They stopped saying his name. The name you're not supposed to say, the name that you're not supposed to speak, God says, speak the name. The name's so holy you can't say it out loud, I want you to say it out loud. The ability to approach God and say the name of God is a privilege. To take the name of the Lord in vain is so much less about vulgarity because vulgarity is just a word. It's just a word. You can give somebody a compliment in English, and in Swahili, you can swear at them. It's just a word. It's about the heart behind the word. When we take God's name in vain, it's less about a cuss word. It's more about ascribing things to God that do not reflect his nature. There are theology books that are filled with taking the Lord's name in vain. Whenever we disrespect or dishonor someone made in the image of God, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. It is a privilege to be able to use the name of God to say his name, Jesus. May the Lord bless you. The name of God was the reward for the entire thing. In verse 27, it says, you shall put my name upon the people. In Hebrew, it is Hashem, the name. What is God's name? It is the name. The privilege and the honor to be even, even be able to say God's name. As we worship God and we begin to think about what we need to do at work tomorrow and we think about what's going on, no, it is a holy and a sacred name. And may the Lord bless you. That word bless is interesting in Hebrew. It is barak, and it is in what's called the pile form. This is what it literally means. When you bless somebody using this form, you Walk before somebody and get down in front of them and extend gifts and bow your head and you bless them. God bows before the people he died for. The king of kings gets off of his throne and comes before you and bows down and extends gifts in front of you. It should offend your mind to think that the Holy One, the Sacred One today bows before you and extends gifts, the gift of salvation, the gift of healing, the gift of grace and mercy. Mercy is when God does not give you what you deserve. 
Grace is when God gives you what you do not deserve. And they are both gifts. The king of kings does not expect you to come before his throne ashamed and terrified and give him gifts. No, he conquers you with his love. He bows before you and extends the gift of salvation and love and mercy to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. That word keep is a term from ancient animal husbandry. If you go to Tanzania or Kenya today and you uh, visit the Maasai tribe, what they do is when they're taking their cows through the desert, um, in the evening, in order to protect them from hyenas and lions, they take thorns and they build a wall of thorns around the cows. Here, have you ever seen this on National Geographic? Or maybe you've actually been there? You can see the hyenas walking around the wall of thorns looking at the, the cattle. But they will not penetrate a measly um, branch of thorns. Ancient Jewish shepherds used to do the same thing with their sheep in the evening. They would build a wall of thorns around their sheep. And as the wolves would prowl around ready to eat them, the shepherd lied down with the, sleep, the sheep inside the wall of thorns. And this Hebrew word for keep is a word that means wall of thorns. So picture this. You've got the king of kings who sits on his throne. And when you humble yourself before God, that's all it takes, is a glance. You humble yourself before God. God gets up and he walks and he bows before you. And he extends gifts to you. And then he wraps his arms around you like a wall of thorns. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. In Hebrew, this word face is plural. It's panim. May God cause his faces to shine upon you. Listen to what Exodus chapter 33 says. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, verse 20, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And behold, the Lord said, there is a place by me. There's a place. There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Ancient rabbis say the greatest consequence of sin is not eternal punishment. It was the hidden face of God. What is impossible in Exodus 33, God says in number six is possible. In Exodus 33, no one can see my face and live, but in number six, I want to cause my face to shine upon you. His face, face is, to the one who is anxious, you gaze upon the face of God, you see an assuring look. To the one who is afraid, you look at the face of God, you see the peaceful 
face of God to the one who is ashamed because your sin is before you. You look before the face of God and you see the merciful face of God. To the one who has been discriminated against or treated unjustly, you see the strong face of God who defends the cause of those who are treated unjustly. To the widow who gazes upon the face of God, you see the husband face of God. To the orphan who gazes upon the face of God, you see the father face of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. When you look at the face of God, he can have more than one expression on his face at the same time. When you look at the face of God, you will never see God look at you and turn you away because he's embarrassed of you. And when his face, look, when you look upon his face, his face shines. The Hebrew word for shine is the same word in your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. When God speaks one word, or let there be light. In outer nothingness and darkness, in the midst of the chaos, God speaks one word and light comes. That is the same word when God's face shines upon you. There is, a, there is creativity there. There is innovation there. There is power there. There is no such thing as darkness, only absence of light. And when God's face shines upon you, all of the power that was there when God created the cosmos and all of the galaxies is there right in front of you. His shining face. I'm learning over the years that sometimes as I look to God for direction, sometimes God speaks, but sometimes God does not speak. Sometimes God will glance. There are some things that are reserved for those who take the time to be before the face of God. If I speak to you and I say, hey, let's, let's go out for Chinese today. You can be anywhere in the room. You can face that way. You can face this way. You can listen online. You can be at the South Campus. If I say, let's go out for Chinese food today, if you hear me, you know what I want to do. But if I don't speak out loud or if I whisper or if I motion, the only way you can know whether or not I want to go left or right is if you can look at my face. Sometimes God directs us with a glance. I'm praying, I'm crying out to God, and I feel like God is silent. Perhaps you shouldn't keep asking. Perhaps the best strategy is to come before the face of God and look. Do I go left or right? We were created to have intimacy with the Father. Not to have a drive-by encounter with Jesus. Are you with me? And we are as close to God as we want to be. But like Ali says, we are God's favorite place to be. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. This word gracious means not only to have unmerited favor, but to find refuge. It is like it, the, the image of the word gracious is to come into a fortress with really high walls around us, with guard tower, towers all over, with watchmen on the wall, watching to make sure the enemy doesn't come close to us. 
there is a refuge in the grace of God. And I want to be clear, there's a difference between holiness and being conservative. And sometimes in our desire to have a faith that is relevant, we compromise. And if you think abiding by the law in the Old Testament was hard, it is even more challenging to give God the worship and the worth he deserves when you live under the grace of God. Grace demands more than the law ever will. Finding refuge in the grace of God means not that we just do whatever we want and we trust that God will have grace. No, it means that our life is squeaky clean and that when God points something out that does not align with his face, then we turn and we align with it. May God be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you. That phrase, lift up his countenance upon you, is a term that Hebrew parents used to use to describe how they treated their children. So here's the image. You have God the Father who sits on the throne. He dwells, the Bible says, in inapproachable light. He is holy and pure, and he knows everything about you. And when we in humility, bend our heart towards God. The Father gets up off of his throne and he blesses you. And then he wraps his arms around you like a wall of thorns. Then he puts his hands on your shoulders and he looks at you and his face shines on you. And when it says he lifts up his countenance upon you, this is what it meant like a Hebrew parent, would pick up a toddler and toss the child in the air. You ever see a crazy grandparent do that with the grandbaby? Toss the baby a little too high in the air? Make you a little nervous? How does God walk with us? God tosses us in the air. You know, what's it, what's it like to walk through life with God? The Father bows before us and scoops us up and tosses us in the air for 80 or 90 straight years. And when we start a new job, we walk into the office and the Father is tossing us. And when we, when we struggle, because sometimes we're reminded of things that we've done in the past, things we did wrong, and shame comes. All we have to do is he tosses us in the air as we look down, and what do we see? The face, the shining face of the Father. Why does God toss us in the air? Because the only place you can look when you're tossed in the air is down. And when you look down, what do you see? The shining face. He lifts up his countenance upon you, and he grants you peace. Perhaps, in my humble opinion, the most powerful, powerful word in the Bible is this Hebrew word, peace. It is shalom. And this is what it means. I'll just read it to you. It is total completeness and a literal fulfillment of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the phrase, grant you peace, is seem shalom. Shalom is peace. See means to prepare a table. So God grants you peace by preparing a feast of total completeness. 
on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we get to live off of the rest of our life. A feast of on earth as it is in heaven. We have access to all of that because of Jesus. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and our great high priest intercedes for us. And what does he say? May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. A couple months ago, I was just sitting at my kitchen table reading number six, just doing a little study, not to get sermon material, just to connect with them. And what really struck me were the postures of God, how God gets up off of his throne and bows before me, and God wraps his arms around me puts his hands on my shoulders and he looks me in the eyes and he scoops me up in the air and he tosses me. He took my breath away, actually. There's a place we can come to before the face of God, the shining face of God, where we catch a reflection of how, who God created us to be and how God really feels about us. Let's pray. Today, God, I pray, open up the eyes of our heart Show us how you feel. And I want to ask a few questions to those listening online, those at the North Campus, the South Campus. I want to ask, do you know him? As you come before God, do you wonder if God is embarrassed or ashamed of you? Do you wonder if God is over you? Let me ask you, does God even recognize you anymore? God does not bless who we pretend to be. But what I do know is this, is that the King of Kings, the one who sits on the throne, he looks at you and he is enthralled with you. And with one bend of the heart in humility towards God, if you will humble yourself, the King of Kings gets up off of his throne and he bows before you, those he died for with gifts in his hand. The gift of salvation, the gift of healing, the gift of love and mercy and friendship. And I want to ask two questions. The first question is this. If you're here today or listening online and you say, you know what, I need to know God. I don't know God. I want to know God. The way to know God is to surrender to Jesus. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've been confirmed. I'm not asking if you've gone through catechism classes. I'm asking, do you know the Lord? And if that's you, we want to pray with you. If that's you, you're listening online, you're at the South Campus or here in this room on the North Campus, if you need to know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up really quick. Say, God, I want to know you. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. I want to ask you to change my life. I want today to be the beginning of a lifelong journey in knowing the nearness and closeness of God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. And I want to ask a second question today. Thank you. That's a great choice. Proud of you. Is there anybody else? And I want to ask a second question today. If you're here today and you would say, you know what? There's something I'm walking through in my life. And in this moment, I want to gaze on the face of God. 
and I want to see on the face of God everything I need. Remember me in prayer. God, I'm responding to you. I want to see your face. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. There's something going on in my life, and I, today I don't want to go to a book. I don't want to go to a podcast. Today I'm coming before the face of God where I will find my answer and my solution. Hands up all over the place. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to keep your hand up. I'm going to bless you, and then we're going to worship God. May the Lord bless you. The holy name, the name we, we're not even allowed to speak, the Lord. May the Lord bless you as he bows before you and extends to you the gift, the gift of answered prayer, the gift of mercy, the gift of salvation, the gift of grace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God cause his face, his peaceful face, his assuring face, his powerful face, his ever-present face, may God cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the shalom of heaven, a literal feast prepared for you on earth as it is in heaven. May God grant you peace. If you raised your hand today to make things right with God, you'll be given instruction at the end of the service as to what to do. But for now, before the face of God, let's worship the one who deserves it all.